Good morning. It is so good to see everybody here. Welcome, welcome. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you to River City here this morning. Um, here at River City, each uh, at the start of each service, we read from the lectionary. Um, it's our way of connecting to the global church. There's churches all over the world who incorporate the lectionary in their service and during the week. Um, and today's lectionary reading is Psalm 40, starts at verse one. And it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin, offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As you, O oh Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Can we pray? Father God, we place all trust in you. We share the good news of the gospel, Father God. May we be inspired by the psalm and be unrestrained in this service. May we be welcoming to those around us. Father God, the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We thank you for River City, Father God, and we love our visitors. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to participate with me as we pray this morning for the needs of our world, for Smyrna and our local community. I feel like today we're supposed to be even in the midst, if you'll stand with me too as we pray as an act of participation. I feel like today is a day where maybe many, many of you are here and you don't feel God. Maybe you don't see God working, but he is. And we're gonna make, we're gonna bring up these different things today as we pray. And we're gonna believe that God's working in them. Even if it looks like he's, he's not. As we look at the pictures on the screens, we start to see the things that seems like God is not moving, but he is. So I'm gonna ask that you pray with me today. We'll start with Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit and out of the miry mog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a song of praise to our God and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And so God, in the midst of desolation, God, in the midst of the miry bog, God, that you are present. You are present with us, even in the midst of our own struggles as we bring them today. So God, we pray for starters, God, for the universal church. God, we pray for the, mem the members of the church, the mission of the church all across the world. God, we pray for those who are gathering in Smyrna. God, this morning, God, for all of the congregations that we would be one, God, with you and the Father and the Son and the Spirit. God, we pray for the persecuted church. God, as there's a lot of persecution happening in Kenya, as three Kenyan Christian teachers were murdered in a raid this past week, we pray for them, God. We pray for the coworkers and the students who are affected and all the families. God, for the Kenyan pastor who was beaten this week for discipling ex-Muslims, God, we pray for him, God, that he would be brought to restoration. God, we pray for the continued persecution in China and the effects that it has on the entire Christian world, God, as they are installing surveillance systems and churches. God, for the technology advancements, God, that you would protect your people. God, that you would bring hope. God, even in the midst of uncertainty, God, we don't know what the future holds, but God, we know that you are with us no matter what. Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, when you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. For the world and all those who are in it, for more than 25 million people who live near the tall volcano as it spewed ash in the air, forcing large scales evacuations and more than 70,000 people to seek shelter. For the six people on Friday who have gone missing after an avalanche hitting a trekking route on the Himalayan mountains in Northwest Nepal. For the 823,000 people, including 25, 250,000 children in Libya who continue to suffer grievously from the violence and chaos of the country long-standing civil war. For the protesters in Lebanon, leaving more than 150 people injured as the country has been unable to form a legitimate government and stabilized economy and for over a dozen people who were killed and 60 injured in the airstrikes on Wednesday in the Northwest Syria. Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. Oh, yeah. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, we pray for the leaders of our community, that they will govern with wisdom and discernment. We pray for the educators, medical professionals, and first responders, that you'll guide their hands and hearts as they guard our children, our health, and our safety. We pray for unity and compassion in our community. We pray for eyes that see injustice, ears that hear the cries around us, and hands that are both strong and willing to do the work of bringing your good news to our city. You tell us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, we pray earnestly for you to send workers to the harvest, workers willing to work a field that does not belong to us, using tools that are not our own, reaping a harvest that will not feed us for a glory that is yours and not our own. 
We pray that the believers in our city would operate in boldness, that the Hannahs and Esthers and Joshuas and Davids of this city would arise in our schools, in our businesses, in our churches, and in our homes. We seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have carried us. We pray to see the day where it truly is in Smyrna as it is in heaven. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. For the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it, Lord Jesus, we just I just pray for undeniable victory, comfort, reconciliation, and healing, Father God, for the for the Wills family as they grieve the loss of their matriarch, for the Grant family, Kayla Coon's grandfather, as they grieve the loss. Father, that you would surround the remaining family members and bring your peace and your comfort. Rachel Longer's sister, Jennifer, as she recovers, Father God, that um, you would bring absolute wholeness and healing in their situation. For the Witt family, as Cassie's mom fights cancer, Father God, undeniable victory. For Wanda Masters, Chris Masters, and the Masters family, Lord God, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you bring victory, not just comfort, but victory, victory that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Father God, that you moved for the Crowdis family and uh, parents and in-laws that are expecting some treatment later this year. Lord, that you would meet them where they're at, that you would uh, almost like part the Red Seas, Father God, and allow them to pass through to the other side for my wife and her upcoming surgery at the end of the month. And uh, Lord, that you would restore anything in the lives of the family of these community, in this community, the families and the things that the enemy is trying to steal, kill and destroy. Father God, we just speak out and we proclaim, not today, Satan. Lord God, that we would just surround each other, that we lift each other up, that we would war for each other. That there would be undeniable breakthrough in dreams that were that people have thought were dead that would come alive in this new new year. Father God, that you would just release undeniable breakthrough in our community in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayer. That's the point for our church where you know if you'll want to be here for a while, is meet and greet. Like, ah, this is different than most churches. We have a lot of friendly people, so you should meet many of them and spend time engaging with them. I just want to brag on this a little more. Um, It's really great, but also it literally has so much to do with what we're walking through right now. It's an in route to a lot of the disciplines we've been talking through, creating space for Jesus. And there's some really talented people in our body that have placed stuff. There's someone here named Sarah Turner. Is that, is that it? Sarah Turner? She, she weaseled her way into a job during her sabbatical. 
She's creative. She's crafty. Um, so we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to go ahead and pre-warn you. I've got a lot of content, probably too much to, to give to you guys, but I'm going to do my best. And we're continuing our month of prayer, and we've been traveling through the idea of prayer being super important because it is a space where we are with Jesus. It's not just a thing we do. In fact, we've been pointing to this content from a website called Practicing the Way with three basic buckets or ideas, and they are for the Christian, for apprenticeship to Jesus to become real in someone's life, you need to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And our goal last week I even mentioned was it's probably easier for us to do two and three because there's tangible things that can be done that appear to look like that. Number one is a little more, a little bit more ambiguous. It's a little bit like having a relationship with someone. Uh, it's not about a checklist. It's about actual presence. And so I do think there's overlap in all these as you develop as a Christian, but I don't think there's any in route to this other than be with Jesus. I think that's got to be the in route. I don't think the in route is just do what Jesus did. I don't think we appreciate that. I don't think we want to be that. But I do think as we grow in it, all of those seem to flourish. But being with Jesus is the start. So we've been talking about prayer being a place where it's not just things that we're asking, but it's a relationship that we're developing. And last week we talked about listening prayer, and thank you so much, um, Ashley and Leslie. Are you guys in the room right now? So you guys led a couple kind of breakout sessions in the prayer room, mom's room, conference room, meeting room, um, and I just want to give it up for you guys for doing that for us. I think it's meaningful to have something you can practice. I think the problem with the church that we see, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in this book that we're really diving into and I think would be beneficial, is that discipleship doesn't happen broad scale, right? Discipleship doesn't happen at a massive conference or even at a mega church or even at this, whatever this is, if it's just this space. It's not going to happen. In fact, people that consistently stay in church, our younger people, are staying because they've had experiences with people walking in life, one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-two. These kind of practices help form Christian discipleship a lot better than just gathering in a space and hearing about Jesus, which is why there are so many people that are transitioning from the American church right now. And I have some stats to back that up in a minute, but and I don't want to freak you out with it. I just want to talk with you today about the entry route into a lasting relationship with Jesus that is sustainable and fruitful and healthy and vibrant. The entry route into having our kids be invited into that looks different than what our culture is giving us and even what our Christian culture is giving us. And I think the church has to become more aware of what's happening. Right? We sense it everywhere. We sense it in our friendships. We sense it at our businesses. We know now that you can't just openly discuss Jesus and it'd be like an okay thing. It's almost like 30 years ago, you could say, I'm a Christian, and people would maybe be proud of that. And now you have to be careful because that isn't, that's in a lot of ways offensive to many people, even Christians are afraid to even share that they're Jesus followers at this point because it's offensive. And so we've gathered content and understand that people are leaving the church. That's not up for grabs. That's happening. We're moving towards a post-Christian society. That is happening. Whether you like that or not or you disagree or not, that is happening in America. And we are seeing that there is a resilient group of people 
that are surfacing through this that seem to be taking discipleship, spiritual formation, and Christianity seriously in a, in a stronger way than even generations before. So like the idea of just gathering together once a week, which 30 years ago could happen, and whole families would be a part of that, and churches would grow for that, is not sustainable anymore. People are not interested at this point in skin-deep, superficial Christianity that only hits the top level of life. And they're transitioning the church because our churches have become great at building content around creating those spaces. It makes me a little bit excited about what we have at River City because we try and avoid that, even though I'm sure we are that in a lot of ways. But today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to start the prayer process. What does it look like to step into? You've probably hit a couple walls because we've been talking about prayer, and most of the people, even Christians I know, struggle with this. They struggle with it for a lot of reasons. I'll just throw this out. A couple of the reasons are, just as a human, prayer is an admission. It's the beginning of humility, and it's the idea of saying, I don't know what to do, and we don't do well with that. We don't do well submitting to anyone, not just younger generations. I'm talking about my generation and above. No one really enjoys, who am I going to submit to today, right? Like, it's the, it's the example of saying that I need something. I need this. Like, we have people in churches that won't even talk about what they need prayer for. It's, it's not just, it's all over. It's not good to be in need. But we're faced with, in prayer, the fact that we are in a massive need our whole lives, whether we're rich or poor. And so, today I want to talk about a couple of things that Jesus explain, but a big question for you would be just for you to kind of get in a space. How do you pray? Who taught you how to pray? And what do you pray? I'm not asking for responses in service. I don't do well. I'll be off. How do you pray? Who taught you to pray? And what do you pray? I honestly don't remember being taught how to pray. I'm sure my family did. Some of them are here. Some of them. Somewhere. I'm sure, I'm, sure you, I'm sure we had, I don't have a memory of, I remember being in, in spaces with Christians and thinking, some people seem to be pretty natural at this, and others seem to be struggling like I am right now, trying to figure out what we do. And if you have a personality like mine who likes to accomplish things, prayer soon becomes the things that you need, right? Petitionary prayer seems to jump off the page. And so for you, what is your process with that. And honestly, for you, if it's, there is no process, Josh. That's a good, honest, where you are thing. You can pull up the slide. There should be a slide, a quote. Um, or do I not have a quote down right here? I don't have a quote down right here. I'm not going to read that right now. All right, so I want you to open up to Luke 11, 1 through 13. Um, as you do that, I want to look at a couple things that Jesus did. Because if we want to talk about learning how to pray... We probably need to look at Jesus. He's why we're here. Mark 1.35, And early in the morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place, and he was praying there. Mark 6.45-46, And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he was himself sending the multitude away, and after bidding them farewell, he departed to a mountain to pray. Mark 14, 32, and they came to a place called Gethsemane, and he, was t- he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and J- James and John, and he began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell to the ground, began praying. 
Luke 4, 42. And when day came, he departed to a lonely place, and the multitudes were searching for him. And came to him, and he tried to keep them from going away. Luke 5, 16. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Luke 6, 12. And it was at this time that he went off to a mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. So when we look at Jesus, here's a couple things. Is, are, are there on, what do, you, what do you want to say to me? My wife is literally going, just say it. I'm not reading that one yet. I just asked for it to be up there and I read some of these. Is that okay with everybody? You guys want to pass it around? <laughs> just pass that around. Trying to paint a picture, right? It's, it's one thing to sit in a room with a bunch of Christians and be told, I need to start praying. It's another thing to have a foundation of why, right? So the prayer that I'm going to be reading to you in a minute has a foundation of why, and it's from Jesus, and it's something that he practiced. He wasn't exempt from being human, so when he was here, he practiced these disciplines, and they were a big reason why he went on mission and was able to fulfill his mission, right? Remember him in Gethsemane sweating to the point of blood because of what God had called him to do. I believe these spaces were intentioned so that those could happen, right? Right? Do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't do what Jesus did. He just did it. But the reason he was able to do it is because he was with his father. In times when it didn't seem like he should be, people were confused. Why are you getting away? There's pressing matters. These are the spaces that I believe created the idea that he could live on mission. But I don't believe it would have worked. And I, you can say what you want about that. Like God is God. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is a human 100%. We don't get it. We don't understand it. But he struggled through what we struggled through. So I am going to read you this passage now. Is that okay with everyone? Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, pause for a second. This is the only time the disciples asked him to teach them something. They didn't say, teach us how to preach. They didn't say, teach us how to heal. They didn't say, teach us how to sing louder. They didn't say, teach us how to do CrossFit. They said, teach us how to pray. And I think the reason was is because he would do this in meaningful spaces and create time to be with his father, and then they would see things happen. So they were deducing, this is huge for what you're doing. In other words, Jesus wouldn't be doing what he was doing without this. And his disciples were saying things like, you need to teach us how to pray. And so this passage is an answer to that. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And another, in another gospel, it actually says, Father, hallowed be your name. That says, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot give, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Just pause there for one second. So I've taught on this before about how that's one room, and 
to get over your kids. You got to, it's not like these houses we live in. But I think what needs to be noted here is that in this culture, this would not happen. There's no scenario where a neighbor needs something where a neighbor doesn't give it. It's such a culture of selflessness and um, hospitality that the disciples are hearing this and going, this is, a redu- this, is, oh, this is one of those things. You're like showing, there, this is impossible for this father, to not, for this person to not do this. It's a redundant kind of like, this would never happen. So as you come to me, and he's about to talk about it, it's a little bit redundant to say, I won't actually answer what you have. So carrying on, nine. I, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For anyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Whatever father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, I'm going to try and attack this. Again, some of the content that I do believe you need to jump into, Faith for Exiles, it'll be available over there, and then this website, Practicing the Way. It's such a great entry route if you want to practice the presence of God and learning how to be with Jesus. But I want to start this prayer by talking about we, when we start, show up with the things that we're interceding for. Uh, Prayers of the people, a beautiful spot in our services. I love them. That's intercession for others, right? It's the whole thing is built around intercession. Uh, the things that we put on prayer wall are pots that we're asking people to fill out. Those are things we need. The way that we pray, we are so ingrained to having what we want that when we don't get what we want, that's when we pray. And it's specifically around things that have been given to us like our family, our money, our jobs, a close relationship. When, the, when any of those things are triggered, that's our entry into prayer. But for most of us to have prayer as a rhythm, the kind of rhythm that is a part of every day, right? Pray without ceasing, relationship without stopping. Pray without ceasing, relationship without stopping. is not even something we put in our brain about prayer. But a walk with Jesus is a walk. It's not like somebody said this morning in prayer. So I don't know who said this. Maybe it wasn't in prayer. It's less like a drive. Oh, it was Jessica downstairs. Today, she was praying that it's less like a drive through window and it's more like a meal with. Prayer is like that. It's like an invitation into being with your who? Your father. And here is where I think a lot of people don't continue. And I know this to be true because I know many of you, and I know my own struggles with my understanding of who God is. And when people are oriented that Jesus starts his prayer, the first thing that he thinks is important is acknowledging that God is Father, there is a massive can of connectedness to whatever you have to deal with because of that. And every person in this room has a different father story. And those of us that even have the best fathers isn't comparable to what God the Father is, right? Who, what father would give a kid a, a snake instead of a... I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think my kids will ever ask for an egg or... What was the other one? A fish or an egg? I'm going to be like, guys, you don't even, I don't think you want that. My kid would actually ask for a snake. I'm going to be honest with you. Noah wants a snake. But, but, but our understanding of God and this prayer that Jesus teaches us, if there's a few things that 
if they aren't settled with this number one thing, prayer will never be something you want to enter into. Right? If, if God is this ambiguous energy force and prayer is to a thing that, and we send our thoughts to you, why would you pray? There's no reason to pray. If God isn't the father that's talked about here, that I'm going to read you about in a minute, the kind of father he is, if he's not the father who loves you better than your own father, if that's not settled first as you enter prayer, you'll never want to enter prayer. So this is an invitation for you. So where am I at with this, Josh? If mine is, is my, my father's jacked up. I'm not saying mine is. He's right there. He's maybe a little bit. He, I mean, you are jacked up a little bit. You've been working out a little bit. Ask him about that, guys. He's, he's getting it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so this is an invitation. So when I talk to you about the things that produce themselves when you're talking about creating space with Jesus and true apprenticeship to Jesus, you think your story exempts you when you hit something like this. I don't have a good relationship with the Father, and I don't ever see God like that. This is the invitation into your story. That's exactly where you start, and that's where it's meaningful, and those are the lessons you need to walk this out. You're not going to be Jordan. You're not going to be Beck. You're not going to be Sarah. You're not going to be anybody else. Where you actually are is the invitation in, and if right here, right off the bat, our Father, you have to stop there and go, do I believe your Father? Are you a good Father? Why are people burning right now? Why are forests being destroyed and people having to leave their country? Why is there racial oppression? Why, why are these things happening? Why is there sex trafficking happening right now in Georgia? Why are people being killed because they're Christian? Why are pastors killing people? What in the world is going on? If God is not a father that cares, there's no way to enter this. So when we talk about like kinship and family and unity in the body of Christ, the entry into that is your father has to name you son or daughter and it has to be he is father. So be invited into possibly months and years of healing that need to take place. Because for some of us, that's the amount of healing that needs to take place because of the things that have happened to us. That's not an exemption because on the other side of that, when you experience the true father heart of Jesus, because Jesus is the representation of the heart of God. He's the manifestation and manifestation in actual physical form of what the heart of God looks like. When you begin to experience that, it is so much more beautiful than any pain you have to walk through, any wall you have to climb, any mountain you have to climb over, any friend or family member you have to forgive, because on the other side of it is the heart of God for you, and that heart of God was always meant for you, and you experience it deeply by connecting with him in prayer. And so... Right, so, so the in route to this, right, is it's shaky at best for some of us. We need healing. But Jesus' number one point is God is Father. He's Father for you. The second thing we hear is the word heaven, which is mentioned in, in Matthew, in the, in the story there, in the prayer there. It's heaven. But the word creates this tension in us because when we pray to God and he's in heaven, where is he at, right? Like typically... He's way away, correct? Way away. So distant from us that how could he even hear our prayers? But the word here, you can pull up this word if I have it, is Aranos. And it means sky, heaven, air, and strangely enough, roof of mouth. And so when it says our Father 
who art in heaven in some of the gospels, instead of having a mental picture as you enter prayer with a father whose proximity is six billion light years away in another realm, which is heaven, and figuring out how is it even traveling from here to there, it's not that. It's not the picture of the place we spend eternity once we leave this earth. It's talking about what's happening in this room. Air enters your body. Where is air? In your lungs? Maybe it's in your heart. Is it in your heart, science people? It's not in your heart. That's what I'm saying. That's why you need to know. And that's why you need to know. Heaven, air, roof of mouth. Where is your father? All around. He's all around. He's ever. The old schoolers are like, yes and amen. Hallelujah. So your father, who's your literal father, is close as close as the air within your body. So the entry route into this prayer is so different and disorienting, right? The next thing is so unbelievable that I have to read this to you. Um, The idea of hallowed be your name. And I'm going to, if you can pull up a quote here. Uh, Actually, no, wait on that. Hallowed be your name. The primary goal of prayer is grateful, joyful, worshipful engagement of the Father's company. So it's talking about how God is set apart and there's no one like him. There's no parallel to him. But when it talks about the word hallowed, we typically think of um, morally, his actions. But it also has this other side of it, which which is things like goodness and and beauty and and love and, and even the fruit. And so in prayer, hallowed be your name, is this invitation into this otherly God who is holy, right? There's a quote on the website that talks about God is so holy that if you were to spend your time focusing on it, even the angels in heaven couldn't even get past that one word. They can literally only keep saying, holy, 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 holy. That's how holy God is, how otherly, how good. And they worship him for eternity because of it, right? God is so otherly and we're invited in as father, right, in close proximity to be with this otherly God because in that we become grateful. We're connected to or tapped into what would be considered the fruit of God's heart. So this is why for me, as I travel through this orientation into prayer, when I begin to prayer, this isn't typical for me though. When I was growing up, even a few years ago, when I would pray, it felt more like a chore and a task and I resented it and I hated myself because I didn't enjoy it. But now in those spaces, I've began to feel the presence of God. I would label it as the presence of God because it feels like peace, joy. And a lot of times it does not make sense but I feel the presence of God and I know it's the presence of God because the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. So joy, peace, patience, kindness. Have you ever been praying and sitting with God and all of a sudden the person you were angry at, you're not as angry at? Is that you that that did that? You willed yourself to that? You're so good that you can just forget about how terrible other people are? No, right? Prayer orients us to an understanding And it gives us access to the fruit of the Spirit, which allows us to act. I do want to read you a quote, which is so out of place. I told you I had way too much content. Prayer is not meek, contrived, merely a religious act. It is the act of human beings who know how hard it is to be human. Real prayer cannot be faked. 
Its only prerequisites are sufficient self-knowledge to recognize the depths of your own need and enough humility to ask for help. Ask, really ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you and is being given to you. And before you start naming it and claiming it, that is not what this is about. Right? We know when we pray, our whole being reorients to wanting the things of God that he is wanting to bring, not just the things that we want to bring, right? So a rhythm of prayer draws us into this space where we start to actually tap into the fruit and can experience it, and it can change the way that we live our lives. And this is a great point about can prayer actually change things? Because if you are someone, and many of you are, who avoid prayer, it's mainly because of this reason. It's not even maybe because of Father. Prayer does nothing. Prayer does nothing. If you sit down to pray and say, this is the stupidest thing ever. I'm saying words, no one's listening, nothing will happen. If it is like this energy or the cosmos or Jesus is just amongst other gods and maybe he's just a good man and I like the way that Christianity is because they're kind to people, hopefully, then when you begin to pray, God is not Father if he is not other than, if he is not present, and for sure, if prayer can't be answered, why would you ever want to pray? Right? This is the quote I was going to read earlier off timing, and now it's in right timing, and so I'm going to read it. Dallas Willard, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. This idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. So when we step into the space of prayer, we believe that prayer does something that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And if we don't, something won't happen that would have happened. And that is theologically shocking to some of you. But why are we here? What are we doing? Is it just our best efforts, right? And here's the main reason. Money's replaced prayer for most of us. We can purchase what we need when we need it, right? And that's why when our relationships, our jobs, our cars, our houses, and those things surface, that's when we pray. Because money has become our prayer. Because money can answer a lot of things, right? I don't even know what this means. What does this mean? <laughs> Worship leaders, what does this mean? I know uh, y'all. <laughs> so, yes. So this is, this is where we could spend the next four weeks talking on this. Should we not work and only pray? Absolutely not. Don't be the people of God that sit in a room the rest of their lives and never come out to meet the people God has put you on the planet with to serve the people that are in need. But doing that without prayer, I can promise you, leads to extreme burnout. You cannot meet all the needs. Prayer covers more grounds than your action or your money will. So if we are a church that prays, we will cover more ground than our actions or our money will. And it doesn't matter if we have the best mission statement in the best space in Smyrna, which we do. We have the table. We literally have a space to do this. Let's not be the church that doesn't pray because we can do all kinds of stuff, right? 
If we pray, the ground that we cover will be so much broader. We will be invited into the narratives God is already doing instead of just our own narrative. We don't need another church that has the new idea. God has been working for centuries. We are a part of the cog. We are in his story. I'm not doing that. Maybe I got it. In history. Amen? Amen. All you dads can thank me later. So, here's the biggest part about this whole part. All of these things I've just mentioned to you have nothing to do with petitionary prayer. They have nothing to do with intercession. They have to do with orienting before asking. So when Jesus is talking about how to start praying, he cares first and foremost about orienting yourself to prayer. So just to start asking, just to start asking would miss the point, right? And he, some of those prayers could be answered. He wants you to feel what it feels like to be a son and daughter, with a father who loves you so much that his gifts will look better than the ones you want. He wants you to be oriented with how close he is to you, even yesterday and tomorrow. He wants you to understand that he is not among other gods. There is not an energy force that we've labeled Yahweh. There is not an idea that you you create your own truth, right? Right, that's, I kind of want to just read this with the whole church, like, and come back next week. Because it talks so much about, like the idea behind this book, and this is where I'm going to plug it. I told Jordan, I was like, I can't. Faith for Exiles. It's, it's, it's being called, the, this, the time we live in is digital Babylon, which this book likens it to people right now in America spend around 4,000 hours on screens. So this just seems like an awesome thing because we have access, but what it's creating is unavoidable. It talks about how we want to go back to Jerusalem where relationships are slow and how you doing, how we're doing, things were important, you were safe. We are never heading back to Jerusalem. We are all heading towards this digital Babylon where our children, listen, this, our children before the time they're 12 have already heard a thousand identities being offered to them. When we were young, and anybody who's 42 or older, there wasn't access to When we had a need, we would actually have to go find it. Like, what is the word? Is, is Zimbabwe an actual place? I got to go look it up. And it's an actual place. Is uh, Jasper, Georgia real? Yes, I found it. My family lives there. Do I understand what the word encyclopedia means? I'm literally at my house yesterday. Uh, how many points is Luka Doncic uh, averaging in a game? Noah. Siri, how many points is Luka Doncic? In a- Answer. Anything they ever want to know from this point forward in history will come like this. And so, when the concepts of the church and being in relationship and receiving identity outside of those narratives is not an easy task because they're, being, they're receiving so many. And one of the most fascinating things to me was the idea that the new generation has is that they're creating their own identities when it's being form-fitted and given to them by marketing geniuses, and they're receiving tens of thousands of messages daily about you get to decide what and who you are, and it can change whenever you want it. And all of us need our ground rooting in the Father. But these spaces, and I'm going to read you this too, it talks about, I got to do it. So people who were in church as they grew up, 18 to 29 years old, 
22% of those people are called prodigals now, ex-Christians, individuals who do not currently identify as Christian despite having attended Protestant or Catholic church and having considered themselves to be Christian as a child or teen, 22% of the people who grew up in church. 30% of those people are called nomads, unchurched, people who identify as Christian but have not attended church during the past six months. The vast majority of nomads haven't been involved with the church for six months or more. Habitual churchgoers is 38%. Those who describe themselves as Christians and who have attended church at least once in the past month. That's hilarious that habitual church going is once a month. You might, you might be here 12 times this year, guys. Calm down. <laughs> Easy. Ooh. Habitual. Once in the last month. Yet they do not meet foundational core beliefs or behaviors associated with being intentionally engaged disciple. And then here's the hope. There are 10% of people. And this is through 10 years of research, and the Barna Group is really good. I really, really, really like their stuff. 10% are resilient disciples, Christ's followers who have attended church at least monthly and engage with their church more than just attending a worship service. They trust firmly in the authority of the Bible, are committed to Jesus personally, and affirm he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death and express their desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. 10% of people who grew up in church. So that means 90% are not those people, but here's the hope. With that 10%, they did a massive amount of re research to figure out what are the main things that seem to be intangible for those believers to stay and to be resilient and to carry the gospel forward. The first one was, and this is why we're doing what we're doing right now, experiencing Jesus, not hearing about him in words. Every person has heard about him in words. Every person, even people that didn't want to hear about him have heard about him. Experiencing Jesus through things like a relationship with Jesus brings me joy and satisfaction. Jesus speaks to me in a way that is relevant to my life. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a set of songs or the worship part of, or the singing part of service. It's everything. It's this whole day. They also have cultural discernment. The Bible teaching I receive in my church is relevant to my life, and every one of you have that. Right. Cool. In my church, I regularly receive wisdom for how to live faithfully in a secular world. Ooh, somebody just got offended there. Like, that's the reality. The world is secular, and the body of Christ operates from the kingdom of God. Like, the idea that that even, just that statement makes us go, that seems offensive. That's our culture. But in my church, I receive regular wisdom on how to live faithfully in a secular world. And the last part of cultural discernment is, at church I get wisdom for how the Bible applies to my life, right? Meaningful relationships. This is the third part that they get. The church is a place where I feel I belong. Second part, there is someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually, spiritual friendship. The third thing is countercultural. The fourth thing is countercultural mission. I want others to see Jesus, and I think to me this is the one that is rapidly decreasing in the church. I want others to see Jesus reflected in my words and actions. I personally have a responsibility to tell others about my religious beliefs. I personally think most Christians think I'm just going to act good and be kind to people, but I'm probably never going to share anything about the gospel or Jesus. I'm excited by the mission of the church in today's world. 
The last thing is vocational discipleship. I want to use my unique talents and gifts for God, God's designs for each person with a unique calling in their life, and my church does a good job of helping me understand how to live out my faith in the workplace. Here's the the biggest thing they understood. As they did research for this younger group of people, almost all of them said they wanted to be challenged more than they were being challenged. That the reason they're leaving is because everything seems so superficial that when they truly want to dive into, there's, there's not places doing it. I need to learn how to do this. And churches aren't ready to do it. But the churches that have spent time on things like spiritual formation, how do I live a rhythmic life with Jesus? Not just how do I have a great service. Like Here's just a, a, a warning for the church going forward. Just to have great services and excited, vibrant services will not be enough to carry us into the future because people are living their lives every day wanting to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus, and they need it to be modeled to them. And that happens with the actual rhythms of our lives. We're professionals at church now. But the thing is, they're asking, will you please disciple me? My kids, your kids, are wanting to know, can you show me more than just, I'm not allowed to do these things. And this is the scary part. Most of our kids that came from traditional Christian environments know things that they're not supposed to be a part of but they have no idea how to live and breathe and, and, and have a being in the world. They know what they're not supposed to connect with and who they're not supposed to be around and what they're not supposed to become, but they have no essence to life that means anything. What does it mean to be a compassionate follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? There has to be people living that lifestyle. So if our gods are our money, if our gods are our image, if our gods are our identities, they will notice that and they will capitulate. They will do the same thing because they're being offered so many better identities than our false ones anyway, with a clear narrative on how to accomplish it in a day. I mean, our kids can get online in a day and figure out how to become something that would have taken us 15 years to figure out how to become. So they're asking and seeking and longing for a body or a people or a mom or a dad who will create space to get into the rhythmic flow of who Jesus is and what he wants. And you can pull up... This passage, I think Rachel might have spoke this before, uh, Matthew 11, 28, 30. So when you talk about God as Father and Jesus is our entry point and the Spirit has been given to us, if Jesus is the representation of the Father, then the Father has to look like Jesus. So if I'm being invited into a relationship with the Father, this is what it looks like. Are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And my immediate, like, whatever, Eugene, is like, we all have these massive burdens that we carry even in the midst of this. And here's, I think, a window into what those are. I think the burdens that we experience when we start to try and live like this are the kingdoms that we've already built that are trying to topple. They're screaming at us and saying, no, 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 no. You're not going to get identity from there. Continue in this. Your appearance, who you are, what you're doing, your money, your car, your friends, your friend group. Am I popular? Am I on Instagram? Do I have followers? How many likes do I have? Right? I just lost a bunch of older people, but... It's a thing, right? 
We're being invited into unforced rhythms of his grace, but there has to be people. So what does that look like in a year? I can tell you what it looks like. Creating space. And not just here, and not just because we have rooms open for forgiveness prayer and identity prayer. It looks like you hitting walls that you're about to hit if you want to do this. Because at the beginning, it doesn't feel like puppy dogs and lollipops because kingdoms have to topple so that Jesus can be lifted up. But when he is erected, I promise you, it is like living water. It will be the sustenance for your life. It will be what comes through you. It will be how God uses you. Or we can continue to build our own kingdoms that our kids will follow after and copy and they're already doing it. Our kids are already being discipled. Can you imagine 4,000 hours of content about Jesus and his family in a year for kids? What would that do? That's just the low end of what they get on things like Minecraft and whatever else. What do, what do you play, Jordan? What's your generation play? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> whatever it is, Instagram, how many hours a day do you do this? This, we're going we're gonna to have a thing in our fingers when we're older. All of us are going to be like, I don't know why we all do this. <laughs> it's like our way to say, hey, let's see you. How many hours, right? Take your phone away for two days. Do a phone fast this week, except for emergency calls. See what ha- Some of you were just like, I just left your church, Joker, because this is stupid. <laughs> I, watch, I watch church on TV, so my screen time is holy. Good. Good for you. All right, I'm moving forward, we're moving on, just real quickly. It's a rhythm you're being invited into where orientation to who the Father is and who you are and how close he is matters more than how many things you're praying or even who you're interceding for. He's orienting you to the good life of the kingdom, he's inviting you in, and he always has been, he always will be. Will you go at the unforced rhythms of my grace or at the forced rhythms of your non-grace, of your anxiety? Thank you, Jesus. I'll just choose my anxiety and my hopelessness and my striving for identity. Will you choose the unforced rhythms of his grace? Will you shut things off that need to be shut off? Will you step out of relationships that are just silly? This isn't like you're in a bad relationship, you sinner. It's just like, what are you wasting your time on all this nonsense stuff? Don't worry about being cool because of who you're around or being accepted. Step away from that. Step away from your job. Some of you need to step, literally step away from a job that is destroying you and your family. And you're like, well, that's money. And I'm like, well, money's not as good as prayer. So I'll, I'll walk with you in it. He's, being, he's inviting you into this unforced rhythm. If you have a father thing that needs healing, that's what he wants to do in, in you first. And it'll be at his timeline and not yours. It'll be a walk. It won't be a drive-through. It'll look like honesty, and it'll look like people that care about you being with you and praying with you, and we would like to walk with you in that. Please reach out. We will surround you. We have people that love to pray for inner healing with people and who are skilled at it and care. If you could all stand, and I'm going to... lead us into communion and then a little bit of prayer. If you can pull up what kind of prayer is being offered today, right before communion. So just while you're in this space, if you desire to stay longer, you can visit the table. There are resources over there. 
I would encourage every person in here to purchase or take a picture of this book just to read the landscape that you live in as a human Christian. It is helpful, especially if you desire to help people be discipled like your children or your teenagers or yourself. You can fill out the pots, which thank you, Jesus, that I looked over there today at how many people had filled out pots, prayers for the season for our church. We do this twice a year and we consolidate and it's, it's like overflowing. Like, God, you got to answer it now. That's what it says in Revelation. Some people are, two of the first things I read was, and I thought this was beautiful because I've always wanted it, but don't know how to talk about it, is more people have to know what's happening at River City. People don't even know we're here because we don't do promotion because we're like anti-promotion, right? But people are praying that. People are praying for a better volunteer culture. Here's like a, just a window into River City. We've noticed that we receive a lot of people who are burnt out from church or who are deciding to reenter church. So volunteering in our church looks different. It's not just like, you're going to do this or you're a bad Christian. People aren't interested in that. People are trying to heal. So it leaves us with a gap. How do we have volunteers to do the work you've called us to do? We're asking God to, to show us how. Many of you have prayers. Fill it out. There are sheets. You can put it in this bowl right here. If you need personal prayer, there will be prayer that's offered here. If you need deeper prayer, the kind that talks about healing in your heart, you can have prayer in either one of these rooms today. We have a couple going over here. There will be people over here. I encourage you. So what do you mean by what you said today, Josh? You said a lot of junk. You were trying to joke a lot. There's a lot of content. You talked about Jesus and God. Here's what I'm saying. He's inviting you in, but he's asking you to reorient how you enter. If you've hit a wall in the first month of this year because we're talking too much about prayer, he needs to remind you he's Father and it takes time with him for that to happen. He's asking you to slow your rhythm. What are you saying today? Create space. Create space. If you need to lock it in your calendar, if you need to set up a date with Jesus, it's gotta be intentional. You're not gonna sneak into it. It's not gonna add on top asking you to create space because I feel like God wants you to see some things for you and your family. And so Jesus, as we enter communion, I ask that you would remind us of becoming oriented before we ask and intercede. I pray that the love of God in this room would be tangible that as we talked about when we connect with you, Father, we tap into the fruit because the fruit of the Spirit, we know what those are. But when we are with you, those that's a good sign that you've entered God's presence in prayer. The peace, the joy, the patience, things that you couldn't produce on your own. And we're asking for all of those things, God.
thankful for the invitation. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.